The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody. This is Joni Siegel, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is episode number 108, and I'm here solo today, but I have a fascinating interview with an author that we interviewed before who has a completely different take on the whole addiction epidemic that we are facing today um, in the U.S. especially. So let me tell you a little bit more about that. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Dave Chase. Dave Chase is the co-founder of the Health Rosetta, which focuses on the problem that healthcare has become, an extractive industry taking resources from what drives 80% of outcomes education, economic opportunity, public health, healthy behaviors, public safety, clean air, and clean water. Recognizing we didn't get better lighting in homes and cities by optimizing oil lamp technology, the Health Rosetta is an open source blueprint for the next generation health ecosystem built on proven solutions to healthcare's toughest challenges. The Lead Like Health Rosetta is focused on replacing the extractive sick care system. Health Rosetta Media highlights the collateral damage from the extractive era of healthcare and the tremendous successes and opportunities with Health Rosetta type health plans. Dave previously published a book called The CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream How to Deliver World Class Healthcare to Your Employees at Half the Cost. He has now published a book called The Opioid Crisis Wake Up Call. Healthcare is stealing the American dream. Here's how we take it back. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Chase. So Dave, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Looking forward to the chat. Awesome. So I mentioned in my little intro for you that um, you've got a book focusing on the opioid crisis. And I will confess to you that I haven't read your book, but I was hoping you could give us just, uh, you know, a quick and dirty on, you know, what you found in writing the book. And yeah, tell us about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, great books out there on kind of the underpinnings of the opioid crisis and and some of the the criminal elements and the pharmaceutical company elements and you know kind of the blow by blow and obviously they're they're very compelling stories what i did was uh really looked at it kind of from pulled back and from a system level because what i was the area that i'm particularly focused in on is employer-based health benefits and one of the things that I came to uh, find out is that, of course, it's an issue throughout society, but overwhelmingly people impacted by the opioid crisis are working age people and their dependents. And for most people who are not low income or elderly, they get their benefits through their job. And, you know, the short version of what I found was the opioid crisis isn't an anomaly. It is our healthcare system. You know, it's not like a polio or HIV AIDS or something like that that came from outside. It's really a self-inflicted wound by our healthcare system. And and sadly, uh, you know, as bad as that is, uh, the benzos, you know, the category of medications for 
that like Valium and Xanax fall into, you know, are roughly where opioids were 10 years ago, you know, kind of further proving my point that if we don't pull back and look at it systemically, um, we're going to repeat history, essentially, and we're already starting to repeat history. So I kind of look at the healthcare system through the prism of the opioid crisis, and that's kind of how I uh, wrote this, and we're very solutions-focused, so we need to understand the problem, but most of the focus of the book is how do we actually get out of this? How do we both downstream people who are already addicted, um, but particularly a big focus on upstream? How do we stop addiction before it starts, because we'll never get out of this mess if we don't also turn off the spigot. Right. What are some of the solutions that you've come up with? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging situation, you know, where uh, I found 12 major drivers to the opioid crisis, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're having problems with it, is people in the media and government often want to oversimplify the problem. Um, and so I will sum it up. Um, there, there are a number of dimensions and there are things around holding uh, pharmaceutical companies accountable and things like that. Uh, but I believe that nothing created more fertile ground for the opioid crisis than, a, frankly, our devastated primary care. You know, over the last 20 plus years, we've really destroyed primary care in this country. So it, it became very vulnerable to some of the tactics of the pharmaceutical companies and these kind of drive by appointments, very quick hit. Uh, you know, I'll just use one example because it's very it's not the only one, but it's probably the most illustrative example, which would be lower back pain. You know, that's the second most common reason people go to the doctor after cold and flu. And it's also the number one driver of opioid prescriptions. And it's the number one driver of disability. And in these kind of drive-by appointments in this undermined primary care that's still kind of the mainstream, uh, there is a you know, so-called solution, you know, of give somebody an opioid for a lower back pain, even though there's no evidence that's actually the effective way to treat it. I mean, at best, what it does is mask a short-term, you know, pain. Right. And meanwhile, you're not addressing the underlying issue. And then people, you know, are vulnerable to become dependent or addicted. And the problem continues to persist. And that's really unfortunate because there's plenty of evidence, and this is where one of the, the solutions is have health plans, you know, whether it's an employer or Medicaid or whatever, that pay for things that have strong evidence they work, like physical therapy. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of the health plans make it hard to access uh, or expensive and frankly don't pay for the things that uh, – don't have evidence that they were or, you know, realize how they can um, lead to problems. I mean, really, the analogy I draw is, you know, if you're driving down the road and your car starts making some horrible noises, you know, you can make your, you know, you turn up your radio and kind of drown it out, but that's not going <laughs> to fix your car. Exactly. Um, and the opioids for something like lower back pain are like that. You can mask that pain in the short term. Um 
but you know things are going to continue to spiral and so you know and i'm one of the you know vast vast majority of adults 80% are going to have a significant back issue in their adult life it's incredibly common right um and uh you know and fortunately i've managed to avoid um addiction i've managed to avoid surgery but i've had kind of everything else and it's only after I really understood how effective uh, physical therapy could could be, and you know, candidly, understanding some basics about my body. Right. There's a book that that I've given to people more than maybe even my own book, um, <laughs> which is called Pain Pain Free, um, and it's just an excellent book. Um, and it's not just for back pain; it's for all kinds of. Uh, you know, joint pain, hip, you know, shoulder, you name it. And it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how effective it's been. And and it's helped me combine with my uh, PT. And, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I, I travel, I don't leave home without a lacrosse ball. It's one of the, the, you know, tools I use to sort of maintain back health and I'll sometimes pull it out. It's like this, a crossball has done more than any pill or injections or anything else I've ever gotten, you know, coupled with these other exercises. And so that's one thing we have to realize that even with all the awareness that we have around this issue, there's still extraordinary rates of opioid prescriptions, even today. Right. You know, it's like five times the rate of other countries. And yep. so that's why I'm so, you know, kind of hell bent on saying, let's go upstream. Let's, let's, uh, of course, address the people carefully and, and with compassion who are already dependent or addicted, but let's stop that from happening to begin with. Right. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, I've been, you can't see me, but I'm like nodding my head a lot because I also mm-hmm. have a lower back issue. I broke one of my vertebrae when I was 18. And as a result, the vertebra below that break are they're kind of messed up. You know, there's some arthritis and some hairline fractures, you know, they're just not in the best of shape. And I Mm -hmm. had a a situation where I um, was trying to figure out how much my suitcase weighed. And so I lifted it very incorrectly. And I heard a very loud crack back there. And then I sat on a plane for six, seven hours going out to the West Coast. And as a result, after about a week, I had to go see an orthopedist in California because I I couldn't deal with the pain anymore. And I had my grandchild and my the I'd had two brand new babies born, grandchildren born while I was there. And so I went to the orthopedist and he gave me a prescription for steroids, which I knew was going to help because that, of course, handles the inflammation on kind of a, you know, a quick, Mm -hmm. a quick fix. But he also gave me a prescription for a very heavy duty painkiller. And I didn't take the painkiller because the truth of the matter was once the swelling went down, I wasn't in pain anymore, was manageable, was not Mm -hmm. a big deal. And so your example, um, you know, is, is very real to me. And now what I notice is... I walk 45 minutes every day and on the days that I decide I'm too lazy and I don't walk and my lower back can start twinging on me. So I, I can definitely, yep. definitely relate to what you're saying there. And it's, it's a very, it's a very good point. And I think unfortunately that as you say, doctors have to do just like a quick and dirty 
or they don't, maybe they yeah. don't have to, but that's what they do. And so it's just here, write a prescription onto the next patient, which is unfortunate. We talked about that before when you were on the podcast, that uh, that whole, you know, the model yeah. of the of the doctor spending a lot of time with you is, you know, virtually non-existent. Yeah, and, and it's that's where it's on us as, you know, as patients and, you know, frankly, where it's, where the tide is turning, it's doctors themselves who are going like enough. They don't like that hamster wheel that they're on. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, there's incredible rates of burnout and even suicide amongst docs right now. And it's, and it's overwhelmingly attributed to the pressure that they're getting from like hospital administrators and the insurance plans and all that, where, you know, they kind of every day a part of their soul is being taken away. And so I've really become sensitized uh, and, you know, have empathy for the docs in these and like, man, you know, doc, save yourself. You know, you have to get out, um, you know, and it's, it's in, you know, selfishly it's in your interest, like for your own well being, but it's, it's also in the best interest of your patients, you know, and they can go back to, be in the docs that they wanted to be rather than, you know, basically just working to check some boxes for, you know, some health system and health plan, you know, which unfortunately a lot of them have now, you know, sort of ended up in that situation. Right. And I think the majority of doctors really do, you know, have a kind of a similar viewpoint to what you're saying. I think, you know, unfortunately in the media recently, there have been some who, maybe didn't quite have their patient's best interest at, at heart and were arrested for overprescribing opioids. I think, but I think that that is the small, much smaller percentage of, you know, of doctors that are out there. I think the majority really do want to do right by their patients and are just frustrated and not, not really prepared for how the system works. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's always going to be these horrific outliers. And, you know, of course, those people should be, you know, prosecuted appropriately. Um, you know, and that's one bucket, as you said, that's a pretty small minority. I mean, a very small minority. It's right. the, the ones that are kind of the everyday doc that certainly have no malice. They're not trying to make some, you know, millions of dollars. They just, are try- you know, think they're doing the right thing within the constraints that they have. You know, and frankly, a lot of docs, um, have pretty limited training in uh, the musculoskeletal area. And, you know, and that's where, uh, you know, one of the case studies I have in my book is on Rosen Hotels, you know, and these, you know, they have a workforce. Uh, I think their total workforce is like 5,000 people. And they definitely have physically demanding jobs. You know, they would be susceptible to uh, back and joint issues. And, what they did was just they've been very systematic about, you know, whether it's, you know, inappropriate prenatal care or in this case, uh, joint pain. You know, they they have their own um, primary care clinic that has evolved over the last 20 years. And one of the areas, you know, we're talking about was very central. You know, that typically is 20 percent, 25 percent of spend is on musculoskeletal issues, mm-hmm. which tend to be the driver of a lot of the opioid prescriptions. Uh, and they thought, well, maybe we'll have a PT come in half a day a week. Well, guess what? Uh, today, 
they have a full-time PT and a full-time chiropractor. They use the best evidence. They not only help people address the acute issue, uh, but they go into the workplace and teach people, you know, good kind of back health and, and all these types of issues. Consequently, you know, they weren't sitting there going, how do we prevent the opioid issue from happening? You right, know, they right. sort of like the great, great, great school doesn't need to teach the test to get right. good test scores. Uh, but I went back to them because I studied them because it's just such an incredible story in terms of what they've done with the money that they didn't waste on healthcare. They turned it into health and well-being for not only their company, but their community. And I said, hey, guys, you know, I have this hypothesis that if you have proper primary care, uh, you know, you're not going to have the same level of opioid prescriptions, you know, and, and collecting data from different places. I'm like, okay, sure, we'll, we'll take a look. Well, it turns out their opioid prescription levels are one-sixth of the level of a typical employer in the U.S., which basically puts them at like the same level as France or Italy, where there's really not a problem, because of course there are appropriate areas for opioids. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, yeah. and by the way, you know, that coupled with some of the other things, I mean, they are literally spending half of what a typical employer spends on health benefits with literally the best benefits package I've ever heard of any company in the country. And, you know, I was at Microsoft during their heyday in the nineties where we didn't pay a dime, but just because I didn't have to pay anything didn't mean I was, didn't mean I was necessarily getting great care. I mean, that right. was when I was getting some of the spinal injections and stuff like that, that frankly wasn't very effective. Right. That's amazing. One sixth. Yep. Now, do you go around and talk to like CE, like CEO type organizations or where do you get the word out on this whole subject? Yeah, we do. I mean that, you know, my, the prior book that I wrote was called the CEO's guide to restoring the American dream, right. how to provide world-class healthcare to your employees at half the cost, you know, that, that gets some attention, you know, yes. in terms of the CFO and CEO. Um, but it's really about this is, you know, the, we have an employer based healthcare system, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, frankly goes back to world war two and the advantage with that is no act of Congress is needed to take these actions. You know, Rosen didn't need to get approval of anybody in DC. They just did that. And so we have this movement that's been growing and, you know, in a year's time we have, you know, already about 4 million lives and employers, um, that are represented by these benefits, uh, advisors, benefits consultants that mm -hmm. we, we essentially accredit, like they go through a training, you know, because most companies really defer their decision for better, for worse to benefits brokers and benefits consultants. And the good ones are worth their weight in gold. Right. You know, unfortunately, the major more, majority of them are candidly part of the problem. You know, they're, they're getting, uh, they're representing themselves as, you know, kind of a, like the buyer's agent. You think about a real estate transaction, right. but they're actually paid paid by the seller right that leads to a lot of conflicts of interest and you know even whether they know it or not you know that's a big problem and so you have to get that right so yeah we we talk directly to ceos i mean i'm next month month um talking to a bunch of the state attorneys general that are coming together for a regional meeting of the attorneys general and they're bringing in you know top business executives from that region and 
you know, letting them know. I mean, I have, I'm not afraid to be provocative with a CEO and, you know, I'll say, Hey, you, you real, you know, there's the old expression, you know, every addict needs an enabler. Well, guess what? You know, unwittingly you are the enabler right. of the opioid issue. Like, what do you mean? Like that? They don't like hearing that. <laughs> How bad? I, you know, I kind of, I go back to what I said. Well, guess Just a reminder, you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, you can visit us on our Facebook page by the same name. For more information on Narcan on Suncoast, you can call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Do you have a loved one struggling with addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed? We recently discovered that Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 80% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-866-989-449 today and say podcast and get a 10% discount. Oh, and this service comes with a free hour consultation with Bobby. Do it today. You know, this didn't drop from another planet. Your, your actual dollars paid for this. And to a person, every one of them has been personally impacted. You know, a family member, a friend's kid, um, you know, one of these benefits advisors in our program when I was really beating this drum, he went back and looked at his, um, all the clients he has and the members in that. And it was, you know, it's not like it's a massive numbers. And he had in the previous 12 months, 22 people in his health plans that he'd put in who had died of opioid overdoses. Oh, 20 of the 22 wow. were dependents. And it was a gut shot to him. Wow. And it was one of those, you know, fork in the road where he got, you know, kind of the religion air quote. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's just maniacal about getting proper primary care in, raising this issue. And that's really the nature of great societal challenges. They always get solved bottom up grassroots and, and, you know, eventually politicians will run to the front of the parade. And and that's my key messages. You know, the Calvary's not coming from DC on this to fix it. Right. You know, there's some things they can do, and that's great. Um, but I think it's pretty self-evident that it is on us. And it's and the beauty is when you fix it community by community, whether that's an employer, a union, a town, it's impossible to stop. But it takes passionate people and, and you know, naturally people who've been personally impacted are incredibly passionate about it. And they're like, I got, I'm going to do something about this. I lost a family member or whatever, and, you know, it becomes their life's work. And so we're just trying to, you know, give them some structure and here's a roadmap on how to fix it. And it's amazing. I mean, you look at, there's a case study in my book about uh, this rural county in Northern California that had four times the state average of opioid overdose, the highest in the state. Um, and with a focused effort in about 18 months, they went from the highest rate of opioid overdose deaths in the state of California 
to last I heard two years running, they have not had one opioid overdose death. Wow. And it's not that they're done. They still have issues, but that's really inspiring. Yeah. That. And, and it was frankly pretty straightforward stuff that they did. It's not like they had to have some miracle drug or, you know, have millions of dollars rain, you know, fall from the sky. Um, I mean, they did have some foundation support from the California Healthcare Foundation, and then they, you know, that's available to any anybody that wants to replicate that. And that's really how it's happening. You know, we have a statement on our website that is both true and aspirational, which we say healthcare is fixed. Join us to replicate the fixes. And the point is, of course, it's not entirely fixed, but the big problems that we have, every one of them the solution to them has already been invented, proven, and modestly replicated. The big challenge is how do we massively replicate that? Right. Um, and that's what we're all about. Right. Dave, I want to take you back. So what did that community do exactly to cut out the opioid yeah. deaths? What did they do? It was, yeah, it was um, basically three prongs. Um, and, you know, you almost think of it as like a triage type of scenario. Number one, they made naloxone much more broadly available. They knew where overdoses were happening and, and, you know, whether it was first responders and schools and other places, they made sure, you know, the, and for people who may not know, that's the overdose reversal right, right. Uh, medication. Narcan, right? Um, Narcan, yeah. yeah, is a common term for that. Okay. Um, and number two, uh, you know, the gold standard for helping people who are addicted uh, kind of stabilize and hopefully get to the point where they can wean off is medication-assisted treatment. So, you know, buprenorphine, Suboxone, those type of things. There were no prescribers in that four-county area. You had to drive 90 miles to the nearest prescriber. And so they addressed that. You know, they went from zero, and I think they have, you know, it's pretty rural county, so it's not a huge population. I think there's like four, last I heard, that, um, you know, can be prescribers you know, for that. And to me, it's absurd that, you know, basically every doctor in America can prescribe opioids, but you know, there's, it's hard to actually become a prescriber of, um, I mean, it's not that hard, but you know, you gotta have a focused effort. Right. Um, so they did that. And then, uh, number three, the three third prong was going into primary care clinics and the emergency department, which were the primary areas where inappropriate prescribing was happening and educating them on, you know, essentially the CDC guidelines, you know, a bit of an oversimplification, but if you follow CDC prescribing guidelines for opioids, you generally do not have a problem. And, uh, and it's a law in half the states you have to, I wouldn't say it's a tightly enforced law that you have to follow those prescribing guidelines. But if you do, you tend not to have the, the same kind of issue. And so those three things made a big difference. Interesting. Okay, so what's next for you? What's your next target? Well, it is uh, a lot of focus on civic leaders, and you know, you and and sort of the public sector as well as you know. We've already been focused on employers; that will continue. Um, and the thing that I remind the public sector is, you know, in aggregate, there's no bigger employer than the public sector. Right. And, uh, you know, you tend to think of healthcare and the 
role in government, you know, you think of them oh, as a regulator or as a payer like Medicare, Medicaid, or even public health. And those are, of course, important roles. Uh, but that fourth one's almost always forgotten, you know, where they have the power of the pocketbook. And unfortunately, their plans are just as bad as everyone's else um, on um, paying for stuff that frankly doesn't work and not paying for stuff or making it difficult to access for stuff that does work. And so, uh, you know, I really encourage them, you know, and the, the, the good news in air quotes is they're all challenged on the budget front, you know, right. and the best way to slash healthcare costs is to improve benefits, you know, as paradoxical as that sounds. Yep. Um, and so it's lead by example, guys, you know, if you look at other areas, you know, whether it's advanced battery technology or GPS or the internet, the government played an important kind of market accelerator route, right. uh, role. And so it's like, guys, you know, step up. And, you know, there's a roadmap and one of the, the people in our community um, uh, is just an amazing person. Uh, she was just in the last couple of weeks um, named one, number 13 on the, there was a list of 50 the fortunes, world greatest leaders, you know, like Bill Gates and people like that. And Marilyn Bartlett's her name. And she's in Montana working for the state. And she... Um, has done an incredible job of getting healthcare costs under control at the state level. They went from a $9 million deficit to a $120 million surplus almost overnight, like in a year. And the area that, you know, she focused first on how they were paying for kind of healthcare services, but where her focus has been recently is on pharmacy spend, because of course that's a big area. And so she dove in and oh my gosh, it's a train wreck. You know, there's so many shenanigans going on there with these pharmacy benefits managers. And uh, she has, uh, I think, my favorite line of the year um, that just talks about her her personality where um, she she has um, what she said, um, just in terms of the the, um, pushback that she got. Hmm. Um, I can they, imagine. They said, she, she said, she, she's okay. I said, Bartlett says it helped that she was near the end of her career and didn't need to please people. Quote, <laughs> I'm 67. So I could give a, yeah, a shoot. Uh, <laughs> she says, what are they going to do? Fire me. I'm packing a Medicare card. Um, and that's, that's Marilyn in a, in a nutshell, packing a Medicare card. And she is just a butt kicker. And, you know, and thankfully, she's getting some visibility for the amazing work she's doing. I mean, we're we're both. I I brought her in to that. I mean, we actually just presented last week to in Tampa to some civic leaders and business leaders. The meeting with the attorneys general next month. You know, bringing her into that. And you know, independent of me, there's a lot of states that are going. Oh my gosh, you know, we got to do that now. Yeah. The status quo protectors are you know, of course, going to come up with all kinds of excuses. But, you know, we got 20, 30 years of the status quo protectors, you know, giving us the opioid crisis and all the cost crisis. So I think they've had their their shot. Yep. And so now people are like, OK, you know, we don't want to live the definition of insanity, yep. you know, yep. doing the same thing. And, and expecting a different, different result. result. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, these are the people that we're working with. They're just they're 
they're just not accepting the tyranny of low expectations that the best we can hope for is just to suck a little bit less. Like, no, you yeah. know, what country is spending more money and has more passionate, talented, smart, frankly, gratification delaying clinicians than the U S like, why would we have low expectations? That makes no sense. Yep. And so, um, you know, it takes a while to kind of shed that mm-hmm. because we become used to such a, a mess. Um, but it, it's actually not that hard, you know, if you have a brain and a backbone to make it happen. Yep. And there's a lot of people with brains and backbones in this country, and it's just a matter of activating or reactivating them in this area. Exactly. Exactly. So assuming that some of the people that listen to the podcast might be employers or might be in yep. a position to uh, influence employers, what's your message for them? It's in your control. I mean, we we my little organization, we have six people um, and we feel like we need to walk the talk. So, you know, we're doing the same things that, you know, a Walmart could do. That's actually possible. Now, you got to be working with the right people to do that. Um, so we don't accept that, oh, our hands are tied because we only have six people. Um, and so whether, you know, you're in the decision making role um, or, uh, the, the, you know, again, air quotes, the good news is everybody is dealing with this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if an employee says, gosh, you know, here's this book, you know, I'm going to give it to you. I mean, you can give them a hard copy book, but, you know, we've made the book available free for downloading and give you a link. Um, you know, you can put in your show notes if you want that people can freely download the book. We don't want that to be a barrier and, and say, we can solve this. And here's how, you know, we're not the first ones There's a bunch of people who've done it. And, you know, we've got a website that, that sort of routes people to resources. And, you know, frankly, it starts with work with the right benefits consultant. You can't get from here to there without it. And so that's really the tip of the spear for our movement, you know, that uh, I've, I, you know, didn't have any background in health benefits, you know, five, seven years ago. But as I unpacked this problem over the last decade, I came to the conclusion that probably the most underestimated role in the entire economy, um, probably the entire country, are people who make the benefits decisions, either the consultants external who consult to or the decision making group um, on the employer side. Right. Um, because they, you know, their actions or inactions, you know, really have a dramatic effect. I mean, one of the provocative points I point out in the book is we are in a 20 year long economic depression for the working and middle class. You know, if you realize that one definition of economic depression is two or more years of wage stagnation or decline. And it's not because employers aren't spending a lot more money on employees than 20 years ago. Problem is all the money has gone to healthcare. Um, and it's not like the underlying costs of healthcare have gone up. That's one of the other things I debunk. And it's not like doctors and nurses are getting paid radically different. Right. Um, it's all this, it's all this other garbage that's not adding any value that is where the money's going. And so, you know, we do have it in our power. Fortunately, in every community, there's people who are like becoming awakened 
and whatever their sphere of influence is, maybe they're a PTA leader or school board member, maybe they're a union member, they're an employee, they're a business owner, uh, whatever role there is, there are things you can do. And, and so, you know, it's, it's just make it happen, you know, because it's not going to happen on its own without that. That's great. Dave, can you tell us your website URL and also if you, whatever phone number people can call if they need to call? Yeah. Um, the uh, website is just healthrosetta.org, um, sort of like the Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. You know, we borrowed the idea that, uh, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics were indecipherable once a to- upon a time, and the Rosetta Stone helped decode that. And for a lot of people, healthcare is indecipherable. And what we found in, you know, basically my decade long scouting your hunt around the country to find out who'd fixed healthcare. Uh, was these people would kind of crack the code, so that's the health Rosetta. Okay. Um, I don't think we actually have a phone number. I'm sorry to oh, say. Oh, that's okay. Um, but but what we, what we do have is the the benefits uh, advisor, benefits consultants. There's there's a link. You know, if you go through our site and kind of the about us, who we are, these certified um, advisors, their contact info is there. So okay. if you're you're in Kentucky, you want to find somebody in your area. There's you can basically navigate to a map, and if you don't find that, just email us. There's lots of ways to contact us there, and we we kind of play a matchmaking role in this nonprofit we started, um, and that's where you know at the end of the day, healthcare is local, and so you know whether you're in Kentucky, Nebraska, Montana, you know Minnesota, we've got folks got you, who have got you covered. Cool. So it's healthrosetta.com? Uh, that works too, um, but .org. Is, .org. Is, Health, uh, healthrosetta.org. And on your website, is the free download available? Yep, yep. There's, Excellent. I think you go to the site, and it just says get the book. Okay. And you can um, choose either of the books um, that you want. I would just tell people to get the the opioid one because it's essentially the follow-up to the CEO one. So you'll get the same content and then some more. And, you know, it's sort of like a Rick Steves guidebook. It's not like a novel read front to back, (laughs) you know, just grab what you want, hop around. (laughs) Um, You know, it's very much, um, you know, kind of news you can use type of thing. Cool. Dave, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And and, uh, hope your listeners found some useful tips there that they can put into action in their community. You know, I really think they will. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for listening today. I thought that was a very fascinating interview. I think that Dave has a definite different take on one of the, shall we put channels of attack on the area of addiction that we need to think about. And I think um, it's, it's very valid, everything he's talking about. So the good news is next week, Jason will be with me and we will have an interview with um, a former student of Narcanon and her parents. And that is one you are not going to want to miss. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcanonsuncoast.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 